Welcome to Leader Secrets Revealed, tapping into the tips and tricks of great leadership. And this is for new and emerging leaders and people who report to leaders and want to know how they can influence them to be even better. Enjoy. So welcome to Leader Secrets Revealed podcast, where my goal is to help you understand some of the secret skills that exceptional leaders have to create high-performing teams. Skills that you can develop to increase your abilities to step up into leadership roles, increase your reputation as a leader, and create the sort of culture that you and your team actually want to be part of. And if you would like to learn more about my effective delegation workshops to leverage your time, please get in touch and you can go to mariburgess.com or email me at mari at mariburgess.com. At the end of this, I'd love to hear your tips for great leadership or leaders you think I should interview. I'm Murray Burgess, your host today, and talking with Catherine McAnally, who is the Manager Employment Policy at Department of Jobs, Precincts and Resources with the Victorian Government. Throughout her career, Catherine has managed, designed and influenced the development of Victoria's employment programs, including most recently the establishment of Jobs Victoria, which has supported over 10,000 job seekers facing labour market disadvantage to secure work. Catherine is recognised by peers and colleagues across the Victorian Public Service as a committed, engaged and passionate leader. And this recognition is reflected in her inclusion in the IPAA Victoria Top 50 Public Sector Women for 2019. So I'm really thrilled that Catherine can join me today. So welcome, Catherine, and thank you for joining this podcast. Hello, Mar. It's lovely to be here chatting with you and it makes me reflect more on my management and leadership as well. So that's been interesting. And, and I think anyone that's been actually recognised and rewarded, particularly in any sort of government role, is obviously an outstanding leader. So we're really looking forward to digging into your tips and tricks and secrets for how you do that so effectively. So can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your current role? Sure. So at the moment, I'm managing a team um, of eight people and it's in a very large department and it's very much um, policy and program development, but quite diverse um, team members. So encompassing kind of policy advice, but also um, a, a kind of communications, digital communications team. So we're responsible for things like our Facebook page and Instagram. We're moving into the 21st century with all that. Um, and I have actually worked on and off, but mostly on, in Victorian government for probably the last, I hate to say, 35 years. Um, I did leave for a short time in the 90s, I think it must have been, and actually um, ran my own business with a colleague who I job shared with. But pretty much I've spent the last 35 years in state government and had lots and lots of really interesting roles, mostly relating to employment, but also a bit in the adult education area. Um, And probably since my mid-twenties, I've started managing teams and um, of varying sizes. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. And I've certainly enjoyed my career in the public service and the diversity that it's um, given me and also the amazing people I've uh, worked with over time. So if you started your leadership journey in your mid-twenties, what was it that moved you into leadership and did you was that a was that a conscious choice that you made or did you fall into it? 
I don't think it was really a conscious choice about going to manage teams because, and probably in those days, I didn't even see it as leadership. It was just like having management responsibilities and it was about moving into more senior roles. So from kind of a graduate program, moving into a policy role and then the next step up involved as a matter of course managing people and I have to say probably the first role I went into I was completely out of my depth I'd had no you know I'd come from a kind of an arts degree and um, had some policy experience but um, I hadn't really had any formal training in managing teams so I guess my only um, training really was informal and particularly observing other managers and I have had the benefit of working with some really amazing managers and leaders over over that time so yeah I probably fell into it and was completely out of my depth and made a lot of mistakes really in those (laughs) first certainly that first 12 months I think people rang ran rings around me a bit I just thought I'd be nice and it would all be great but um didn't really work out that way necessarily but look I really actually you know I have obviously learned a lot and really enjoy that role now. So, so, so you watched people and you watched other managers and what they were doing. Did you get any like specific help along the way? Um, in those early days, I don't remember any. This is a long time ago. I don't remember any kind of formal support with that. Um, I think it was just an iterative process of learning and getting better and then I kind of moved into more senior roles and probably by my early 30s I was managing a team of kind of 26, 27, kind of like a branch level. Um, And by then I think I'd had a bit more confidence and had developed a bit more of my own style, I think, um, with leading teams. Um, I've done probably done quite limited formal management training over the years, although, you know, you pick up opportunities to do that and I have probably picked up more of that in the last 10 years than I ever have. But um, so it's all pretty informal learning on the job, I think, really. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So I want to move into tapping into some of the secrets that you've either learnt or developed over time. What have you learnt most about either creating or working with a performing team or a high-performing team? Um, I think the thing that I come back to quite a lot is um, is kind of losing the ego really as a manager and managing teams that you don't have to have all the solutions or be the smartest person in the room all the time. Um, and I think that's one of the things when you first manage a team you kind of feel like everyone's looking to you to have the solutions on to know what to do and I think one thing I've realized over time is not only do you not have to be have all the solutions but in fact that there's real benefits for a team if you can work with the team members to develop the solutions so I have to say I'm a massive fan of the kind of planning workshop or the brainstorming like how are we going to tackle this over the next uh, you know, it's a few months that we have to deliver. So we've been writing a significant um, business case in our team and we've been probably working on it for close to 12 months So or started on it. Um, and that's a bit daunting sometimes when you sit down and you think, oh, my goodness, there's so many parts of this and we're going to have to collect so much data. So I would just sit down with the, the team, probably maybe six of us, and go, okay, this is what the job is. This is what we're going to have to deliver by this time. Let's think about all the different components of that. And I guess the benefit of that, for me, is 
that I get all the input from the team who's got all these amazing ideas about, and I have to say they're a pretty engaged team, but also that that motivates them and they can see that they've contributed to that plan. And it, and for those who are maybe more junior, it gives them an opportunity to observe that problem-solving process and that planning. So I guess generally speaking, one of my key tips is about don't feel like you have to be the smartest. Let the team kind of participate as much as possible. Obviously, that varies a bit from the type of role that you're in, but for the kind of work that we do, which is um, program development and and policy advice and so on, and often um, competing demands for time, often just sit with the team and go, okay, these are all the things we've got on. How are we going to manage it? And people put up their hands and say, I'm happy to help out with that or I'll do this. and I guess the other thing that I really, it's part of the ego thing, is where team members do really great work, when I'm sending it up the line, and you know, most of us work in bureaucracies of, or hierarchies of one sort or another, I always make sure that in that material I acknowledge the team members who have done most of the work on that. So, you know, blah, 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 here's this work. I just want to, you know, thanks to so-and-so who's really done the most of this or two people who've done most of this and I think that has a dual purpose you know I think it's really great for for more senior management to see the people in your team and what good work they're doing but also it's great for those team members to see their work acknowledged Um, you know obviously they feel good about that but I think also they take more responsibility um, for for the quality of that work knowing that it will you know They'll stay. They'll, they'll be recognised for the work they've done, um, but there's probably also subtly a need to make sure that the work they do is worthy of being exposed to senior management because you know it'll be there for people to see. I suppose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so that's one actually, of the yeah, things. it has so many benefits. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and you don't have to use the role now as an example although you certainly can if, mm. if, it, if, it, if you've got stories around that but if we were to think about your biggest challenges as a leader what would they be look you know over time I think I've had different talent challenges probably the hardest for me is where I've been brought into a manager team that I haven't had a big role in kind of building them up or recruiting and where there have been interpersonal conflicts and skills in a team that I've come into um, and to be frank I think that's a thing that is just very hard as a manager to deal with because there can be a sense of impatience with basically when people are behaving badly to need to go in and sort that out and you just want to say look could you just be a bit more professional about your dealings with people and I don't think that even after many, many years, that's a situation I find easier, although I think the older I get, the more confident I would be at being very clear about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, but nobody wants to go down the line, the path of you know, behave, performance management or anything like that. At the moment, I am blessed with a wonderful team um, and I think that's partly because I've had the ability to build uh, that team up over probably three or four years and to recruit and we've got a lot of... Um, Quite people quite junior in their career as well as more experienced people, which is a great combination. Um, so I think the challenge at the moment for me is things like our team's quite stable and doing really well, but um, there's quite a bit of change in the broader organisation and a bit of instability that certainly impacts on our team and particularly morale, I think. Um, and one thing that I've really 
I actually did a course uh, probably a year or two ago, which was on leadership. And one thing that it really, um, I took out of that was the importance of modeling your behavior. You know, I think sometimes it can be tempting when you work in a large organization and you can be frustrated with aspects of that, you know, yet another organizational review, yet another restructure, that the team actually looks to you for your reaction and how you're modeling things. So it can be so tempting to just go, oh, can you believe what they're doing, you know, in HR and they've done this and et cetera. But in fact, that's not appropriate as a leader, you know, maybe one-on-one with somebody that you've got a more relationship with is okay. But in front of your team, uh, you really need to model professional behavior all the time because they're looking to you for signals about how they should react to it. So that's one thing that I really, it's not always easy, um, as I say, working in large organisations, there can be things that are really frustrating, but I've really tried to kind of modify my behaviour so that I kind of think about the impact it might have on more junior staff, especially people who don't necessarily all the time have the big picture and how worrying and destabilising that might be if your manager's actually freaking out about the change. (laughs) So that's, I guess, a challenge that both personally, you know, we all face, but that personally I try to make sure I modify my behaviour and recognise that I'm the people are looking to me all the time for how they should behave as well. So Yeah, and, um, you know, it's, it's such a valid point and I think sometimes managers and leaders actually forget actually that, that they're more senior and so yeah, people will right. watch that behaviour and it's like we cast this great shadow and what is the impact of that? So, yeah, great, great learning. Mm. Can you share more about leading and developing younger teams? Um, because you now are more experienced and older and yeah. and you end up having a mix of a lot of younger people in your team. Yeah. Look, I have to say that's one of the things I'm finding, finding most satisfying, really. I mean, I'm at um, a point in my career where I'm, for me, it's about enjoying the work rather than necessarily climbing the ladder to the next senior role. And um, I, what I find in terms, so I'm enjoying the mentoring of more junior staff and being able to share my experience. And so um, the kind of things I do, are, well, I make sure I guess I spend enough time with people to give them proper feedback on the work they're doing. The other thing I've been doing a bit in the team I have at the moment is buddying people up. And I just absolutely love it when I walk past the kind of pods and they've got their heads together and they're saying, you know, I have to do this piece of work. Has anyone done something? Has someone someone got an example of a briefing or something that they've done? And we've actually got folders of examples of, we do a lot of briefings of those briefings. So people who haven't done one before can get down the folder, but also buddy up with somebody else just to mentor them just or to be a sounding board if they're writing something and they're not sure how to approach it. So, you know, we do things like briefings for ministers, briefing on cabinet. There's, they have a particular tone and style. And um, so I guess um, I, I certainly, yeah, I like, quite like that buddying up kind of thing and letting the team support each other to learn with a more senior and a grad. And do you do you formally buddy people up or do you let them find the people they need to, to buddy up with? Probably it's more a kind of suggestion. So I might give somebody some work and then speak to somebody else and say, look, I've just given so-and-so this work. It would, it's a bit similar to what you've done previously. It would be really great if you could support them and they'd say they will. Or um, I guess it's part of 
being conscious of what is um, what different team members are interested in. So that might be around a particular issue. You know, we're doing things like um, trying to get better employment outcomes for ex-prisoners and ex-offenders is one area. So maybe one or two people in the team will have a real interest in that. And so I might try and if something comes up in that area of work, I might put those people or suggest that they work together on that. So, But I find the more I do that, the more people do it naturally. So somebody will overhear someone else getting a piece of work and will say, if you need any help on that, I've done something like that or I can help you out with that or so I think the more you build that culture of it's okay to get a bit of help on something, the more people kind of respond to that and pitch in. Um, the other thing I do, which I think is you have to consciously, you know, have to remind yourself to do it, but I think one criticism sometimes that's more senior management might have of their staff is, you know, they've done some work and it really didn't reflect all the information that was required or it wasn't a well-rounded piece of work. And I think for more junior staff, it's often because they actually haven't been exposed to the information they need. So one thing I try and do is bring more junior staff along to quite senior meetings with me, even if they don't have a formal role. So occasionally we you know, might have meetings with ministers or meetings with quite senior staff in a department or um, interdepartmental committees that have got senior people on Um, and I just try and make a habit of bringing one junior more junior team member along into those meetings so they can observe what's going on in there and if need be I might check with a more senior manager is it okay if I bring so and so along I've never yet anyone had anyone say no that's not okay Um, but I just feel it is a really effective way for people to see how different forums work and to get a better insight into the kinds of things senior managements want to know. You know, what are the risks here? Have we thought about this? Have we consulted with these people? And rather than you just hearing that and then relaying it down, to actually bring some of those more genius staff into those meetings to hear for themselves, I just think, you know, one, it develops them and they can see that, but also it improves the quality of their work because they've got a you know, better line of sight to what's yeah. required. So that's so, another so, kind of... So a yeah. scenario or, a, a, I guess, a, a metaphor that, that is used often in leadership workshops is the balcony and the dance, which is you're on the dance floor and you're in the detail, which is where your grads and your yeah. staff are that's or right. anyone really in your team, and then you step up onto the balcony so you get that bigger view. And actually what you're doing is you're taking these um they, these grads onto the balcony with you and yes. so they're getting a completely different view of what's going on and that, yeah. that's gold yeah yeah I've never heard that metaphor before but it's a really good one I think <laughs> and I find it myself you know we have often changes of ministers and ministers have different styles and you'll get used to one but if you haven't actually met that minister and that minister's advisors you don't necessarily have a good sense of how they're thinking so I had the experience recently of you know being going up for the for the first time ah now I understand why they're asking those questions because you get that perspective so um yeah it's been for, for me as well to have access to that so I'll also sometimes say is it okay if I come along to something so I can get a better sense of it as well so yeah it works at all mm-hmm. levels exactly so with all of this, um, how do you manage work-life balance, both for you, but also making sure your team are managing that as well? So um, I don't have young children anymore, but I've um, 
have older children and elderly parents. So I have to say I haven't worked full-time, I think, for about 25 years. So, And I've worked different fractions. At the moment I work four days a week and I have Wednesdays off. I find Wednesdays really great because I don't have consecutive days out of the off and I find things like Fridays, yes, it's only one day, but then there's Saturday and Sunday. So it's like between Thursday and Monday, you're not there, even though everybody... So I find Wednesday is a really great day to have off because I can do two days, meet with my staff, often meet with people late in the day, that giving them things that they'll work on by Thursday morning. You know, they've got work for me to review and so on. So I find that works really well. Um, I work pretty long days the other, the four days I am in the office. And I guess for me, that's the trade-off of my day off and I'm very flexible about that time so if need be I'll you know go into the office on those days I have a really um, great manager who recognizes when I put in extra time and says you know make sure you you know crib a bit of time somewhere else before a long weekend or something like that Um, so you know in some ways not being in the office a day makes it hard because Every Tuesday is like, oh, my goodness, I've got to finish all these things before I'm not in the office. And obviously sometimes I'll take calls and check emails. But for me, the, the benefit of that is that ability midweek to sort out things, to kind of visit my parents, to walk the dog at 9 instead of 6 a.m. in the morning. And I find that quite grounding, I suppose, um, in a kind of busy light. And it's funny, most of the people in my team uh, either work at home from a, a day a week. So I've got people who commute from Geelong, so it's a long way. So one person works from home a day a week because of the distance. One person works at home a day a week so he can pick up his kids from after school care or from school a day a week. Um, and in fact, there's one person, there's probably one person in my team who doesn't work flexible hours. So when we're saying, okay, just a reminder, I won't be in tomorrow, I'll see you Thursday, he'll go, I'll be here every day. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, I th- and I think fundamentally uh, underpinning that is the trust that you have in a team and, and pe- you know, that you need to trust staff that when they're not in the office, they will indeed be working um, and I do and I do, and they reward that, I think, with uh, the work that they do. But um, I guess I'm a big believer in the productivity really that comes when people actually have some flexibility in their days to manage other things. So, you know, I can't remember the last day I had a sick day, for example, or went to the doctor because I do it all on my days off. So I feel like organisations really benefit from um, productivity with that. And um, I, I have to say I haven't had any issues with people. People are generally very flexible, I think, even when they have days off or work part time. Um, just so, yeah, it's a bit of give and take, but fundamentally needing that trust and delegating, the whole issue of delegation, but giving people the responsibility for work tasks that they can manage in their own time. Um, Again, you know, I guess that varies from organisation to organisation from the type of work that you're doing. But generally speaking, certainly where I work, um, you know, we'll set the task, discuss what needs to be done and then just leave people to actually manage their work and their tasks and come back to me when they need to test something or check something. And, um, yeah, so anyway, it works for me, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think there's, and we're seeing even countries considering the four-day work week. Yeah, yeah. Because I think people are more productive. Yeah. So you mentioned delegation, which leads mm. me to another question. And 
you know, what are the secrets to getting the delegation slash doing balance right? Look, it's a really interesting one, I think, Mari, because um, you do see different styles of delegation. I feel like, I mean, you'll know this better than me, but I feel like there's this sense of, you know, one of the pitfalls of management is not delegating enough and trying to do it all yourself. And clearly that's the case. If you're in a management role, you can't do all the work of the team. But I do think there's a need to get that <laughs> that balance right and not delegate everything. I have observed over time managers who, you know, something comes in and the first thing they do is just go, right, could so-and-so do that, uh, send it out, maybe not even with that discussion about what might be required or... Um, so I think there's delegation of work, but I don't... I think one of the traps is delegating completely kind of almost a role in discussing how the work might be done and discussing with a team member the the expectations about that work. So rather than just, yes, it's come into my inbox and I'll forward it on to this person and then the next day I'll forward something else to someone else because they they look like they, they're not busy enough or something. But um, they need to really think about the work that's coming in and who's best placed, who has capacity. I mean, I often ask people, have you got capacity to do this? Because we while we have some projects that we're working on long-term, we get a lot of really reactive stuff as well. Quick, we need this, we need it in half an hour, we need it in, you know, by the end of today. So I just check with people about what capacity they have. Um, if need be, you know, do we need to adjust other things because this has come up and it's a big problem, what their interests are. So I try and delegate to people based on what their interests are um, and to balance for people their kind of, project work with reactive work I had one person in my team I realized they were just getting reactive work and never felt a sense of ownership over something so I really worked hard to and actually called that out and said it seems to me you know that this is an issue you're just you haven't actually got a little area of work you can call your own so I really try and do that but on the in the balance of delegating and, and doing I think there is sometimes a real value for a manager in actually pitching in to help the team to achieve something and that that builds the team in a way that they can see that yes we're in this together and yes I'm happy and I have to say I still enjoy some of the nuts and bolts stuff I love writing a brief and crafting it and so on so every now and then when not every now and then I do it still quite a lot but you know pitch in and do something I'll do this you do that part I just think that sometimes it's important to step back and say, yes, as much as I need to be managing and keeping an oversight of the team and how it's all working, there's still a value in pitching in with the team to do things as well. So I don't think there's any magic formula. Obviously that's, obviously that's about judgment and what's the best thing for the team and to get the work done at the time. If you're doing that too much, basically it's likely that things are getting completely out of control, <laughs> that you're losing a grip on the overview of the team and what we're supposed to be doing. And I think that would be, for me, warning signs if I'm doing too much is that there are things I just don't have adequate oversight of or know what's going on and in a more strategic way. I think that's such a valid point because I actually do sort of obsess about delegation and I'm writing <laughs> a lot about it, researching a lot about it. And, and absolutely at, at middle management, it's not about the manager delegating everything, but yep. they actually have to do that dance between the balcony and the dance floor. Yes. Um, more senior, I think people need that more future and outward focus, but yes. certainly 
you're, you're absolutely right um, mm. that, you know, you, you've still got to be hands-on and be seen to be involved as well. Yeah. But I do, I've written down some of your tips about delegation. I, I do love that about, you know, what's their interest, what's their capacity mm. um, and who's who's best placed and even interested in doing this. So, yeah. you know. And there's obviously limitations to that because sometimes you get jobs that really nobody wants to do, yeah. <laughs> nobody's yeah. interested in. And that's why I think <laughs> it's about saying, look, I really, I realise this is not a great thing that you have to do in a short time, but be great if you could do it and I just think really that's why leadership and management is not about is is over a longer time and building the trust with your team that they know that if you're giving them something that's not great you acknowledge it but that they also know that you'll be trying working with them on better things you know that you that they trust you that you're trying to make their life work life interesting as well like a leader I used to work with talks about swings and roundabouts that you know sometimes it is the the grunt work that no one wants to do but there'll be the roundabout where you'll get something really interesting yeah Yeah. so um overall what do you think your three top skills are as a leader Mm. um look I think it is probably that kind of collaborative approach to leadership of bringing people along and problem solving like I actually I mean occasionally I act in more senior roles um usually quite glad when the three or four weeks is up (laughs) of managing a a much bigger branch of 40 people or something but the part of that I really love is problem solving actually and working with people on okay what are the issues what are pros and cons and so I guess as a leader um partly it's about critical thinking trying to take a step back um but working with the team to solve the issues do some problem solving do some you know workshopping of things that's kind of all a bit vague but it's that approach of working with the team to work out the best way to do it and then um I think I'm pretty good at providing that kind of constructive feedback that's sensitive to people's feelings um you know so being able to call out the positive you did that really really well one of you know but you know let's um I think an area we need to work on is you know this this writing or whatever and I think um that it's all it's kind of a bit intuitive about understanding individuals and where they're at and then trying to work with that does that count as two so kind of problem solving workshopping kind of capacity to give constructive feedback um, as I said, I think the other thing for me is um, is that losing the ego and just kind of trying to step back and think about the whole team and how it might, how that team might move forward and deliver the best that they can, really, um, and be seen as responsive and delivering. Um, but I, I, for me, I guess it's about also that the team having confidence that I'll have their back you know so I had an example recently and this gets to the work-life balance but where my dog desperately needed a CAT scan to check he didn't have bone cancer and it's like I went into work and I said to the team okay let's sit down we'll you know meet about this and then I got the call kind of 10 minutes in can you get the dog here to the vet now we've got an opening for the CAT scan so I said sorry guys I have to go (laughs) Um, I'll be back this afternoon we'll sort it out so I got took cat scan good news story nothing serious um 
get back into the office in the afternoon. I said, okay, so let's sit down again and work out where, where we're at, what we're going to do. And they just said to me, it's okay, we've sorted it all out. We've, you know, so-and-so is doing this, somebody's going to do this, but that sorted it. And I said to them, I'm so, like, really, I'm so proud of you that you've done that and um, sorted it. And they said, yeah, but we knew that you, that if we did it, you weren't going to come back and say, why did you do it without me? Like, they knew that I would that I would back them, I suppose, in yeah. their preparedness to go ahead and just do it. So I think that's, I guess I think that's one thing I'm proud of is that I've been able to build a team that knows I've got their back, that I'll support them, that I will tell people up the line about the great work they've done, that I'll give them feedback. Um, and therefore, I people say, you've got a great team. You're so lucky you've got a great team. It's like, I know I do. Um, but um, yeah, so that that kind of trust I suppose and building the team up look I'm really lucky at the moment I haven't always had amazing everybody you know working teams but that's where I am at the moment which is great so and I think you've done a lot of work to create that too by the way um thanks for all of that I've just taken screeds of notes so there'll be lots of show notes (laughs) for everyone who are listening to this what are your daily habits to help you be successful oh look um I probably need to be much more deliberate in my daily habits, to be frank. But the kinds of things I do, I mean, look, they're pretty fundamental. I mean, I have a to-do list. I actually have a hard copy one. I really need to get better at using some of the digital tools that you have. But I still like having a to-do list that I'm kind of, (laughs) (laughs) Mari's got showing me one as well, that, you know, I can cross things off as I go. The other thing I do a lot is i use my electronic calendar to block out time for things. So apart from, I have I have a weekly team meeting every week with my team and we try to make those not just who's doing what and these are the issues coming up, but for people to bring um, issues that they're not sure about or to the, to the team for a bit of feedback or a bit of, you know, short problem solving within that. So I schedule a meeting every week pretty much without fail with the team. It's just 45 minutes, but we have a team meeting. Um, I have, you know, regular time, catch-up times with my direct reports and I have other people who have their direct reports within the team. But the other thing I do a lot is just block out parts of my calendar for things I need to do like review work or, um, you know, so more the paperwork stuff rather than the meetings so that my days don't get completely swamped by being yeah. invited to meetings and then I find myself at 5.30 with, you know, <laughs> a whole lot of things I haven't done during the day. So I use my calendar a lot for reminders to call people, block out time to do things. Sometimes that shifts, but um, I guess those are the main things. I also don't have an office. I work in an open plan area and I feel sorry for the managers that are in offices really because they... Gee, I mean, are they already left? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple, but... Um, you know, the ability to kind of just be there and pick up on the vibe of what's happening in the team and what's happening and to pick up intelligence and so on. So in terms of daily habits, it is things like blocking out some time, having regular times with my team, um, but being alert to what's going on. And look, we have great fun in the team as well. We've actually got a, a jigsaw puzzle on the go at the moment where people from other teams come in and put a piece in or often might wander over in their lunchtime. We have trivia every Friday, you know, just for 15 minutes. So I guess um, being aware of those more social things that mean people feel that it's quite fun coming to work as well. I love it. So those are 
about their daily habits. They're kind of more weekly habits, aren't they, really? But that's what we do. And, you know, I know you listen to podcasts. Do you have podcasts you would recommend to emerging leaders or books that you'd recommend that you've loved over the time? Well, the embarrassing thing, Murray, is probably I don't listen to a lot of podcasts podcasts on management and leadership and work. I tend to listen to podcasts like Chat 10, Looks 3, which is Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabbe on books but that are more fiction and so on. Um, so I can't really actually recommend any particular leadership podcast other than yours, really. Yeah. Oh, of course, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your parting advice for emerging leaders? Um, look, as I've said this, this will be the third time I've said this, I think, a bit, but, you know, lose the ego and don't be afraid to work with your teams on ideas and acknowledge their ideas. I think it's also really one thing I've also benefited from is is having a couple of um, colleagues that you can talk to about difficult issues. So um, I was involved in something last year called Leadership Circles where the um, organisation I work in actually invested, and I can't tell you the name of the organisation who did it, but it was a really great program of, um, again, it was actually middle management but building collegiate relationships between leaders and forming them into small teams and working through a course. But what, as a result of that, when that course finished, um, th- uh, two other women and I continued the leadership circle. So you can say it's a leadership development and circle. It kind of looks like lunch um, probably every three or four <laughs> weeks. But in fact, we still call it leadership circles and continuing the leadership support because as people... It's just so valuable, I suppose, to find somebody that you trust enough to be able to say, I'm having this issue in my team and I'm not sure how to handle it and to share that advice and in a kind of non-judgmental and safe um, environment. So I guess I'd really say if you can find like-minded people or maybe not even like-minded people but other people that you trust enough that you can say do you mind if I have a chat to you about this just don't be again in some ways that's about ego too don't be afraid to ask a colleague that about something or say I'm not sure how to handle this um, when you might not want to necessarily say that to your manager your manager find somebody else that you feel you can ask and get some advice on so I think that that's a really it's just a great thing to have is somebody who can you can have a chat to about issues you're not sure about I love it I actually want to finish up by going back to your bio that I read at the beginning of this podcast where you have been recognised by peers and colleagues uh, and, and and basically included in the IPAA Victoria Top 50 Public Sector Women for 2019. So what difference does that make for you to have that recognition? It's a really interesting question, Mario, because I have to say um, I was nominated by colleagues, which was great, but then on the night of the awards, I was I was quite overwhelmed by the kind of quality of women who were winning this award and most of them really senior managers, head of this organisation, head of this department and so on, and I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm not anywhere near as senior as those people. But for me it was um, actually a really... Um, 
wonderful recognition that in fact you can play a leadership role in middle management, um, that you don't have to be climbing to the top of the pole to show leadership. And so I was just, um, it was just a really great affirmation of the way in which you can influence teams that you work with, influence, um, you know, delivery of what you're trying to do from that middle management role. But personally, I suppose it's really, in some ways, it's invigorated me to take a bit more serious, not to take more seriously, but to be more constantly conscious of a leadership role and the value of a leadership role, regardless of um, what level in an organisation you are. So um, it was fantastic. And it may be, oh, that would be work calling on a Wednesday. That's all right. I didn't even hear it ringing. Now I've lost. Oh, you've gone on mute. You've gone on mute. Oh, okay. there we go. How's that? Sorry. Sorry. Yes, I didn't even hear that ringing. So you're absolutely fine. Oh, good. Um, and really, I just wanted to say what I actually got goosebumps when you're answering that. So what a what a beautiful response. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing your leadership journey and secrets with us. No worries, Mari. Now all I can see is myself, not you. <laughs> It was such a joy to speak with Catherine about her leadership journey. Some key points I took away are lose the ego. Catherine mentioned this several times throughout our interview. As leaders, we don't have to have the solutions or the answers and actually trust our team because they will come up with them for us. Also to provide mentoring um, opportunities within the team and budding opportunities. So budding up more senior team members with more junior team members or people who have done a particular project or task to buddy up with someone that's doing it for the first time. To look for ways to give junior members an opportunity to see the bigger picture of what's going on in the organisation. Uh, and one thing that Catherine does is takes grads and more junior people along to senior meetings so they can actually see and hear what gets discussed and then that helps them then do take that bigger picture when they're doing the, the task. Catherine is a delegation expert and knows that she can't do everything and she's also aware that managers shouldn't delegate everything and should still, you know, keep stuff, particularly middle management, um, doing as well. She focuses on what work is coming in and who is best placed, has the capacity and the interest to do it. Uh, it's also about balancing project work with reactive work so everyone has specific work to call their own. The three key leadership tips that Catherine shared were to take a collaborative approach to problem solving and to take that step back and allow the team to do the critical thinking. Also to provide constructive feedback, but do that with sensitivity to that person's feelings. And again, to lose the ego and think about the whole team. And finally, in being recognised by peers and colleagues and being included in the IPAA Victoria top 50 public sector women for 2019, Catherine has realised that mid-level managers and leaders can absolutely make a difference. We don't need to be at really senior levels to have a positive impact. So if you know someone I should interview who has exceptional leadership skills like Catherine or other skills that, that I would love to know about, please let me know at mari at mariburgess.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please share the link with colleagues and friends or on your social media feeds and help others learn how to be great leaders 
Or if you're in a team, what a great leader looks like and how you can help develop that. If you know of someone that you think I should interview, please let me know via my website. Thanks.